On Young SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unnees. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. Happy day before my birthday. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> you know what, though? It is a celebration today. It is. Before your birthday. There is an... I love... <laughs> Okay, everyone, settle back because we are going to now get onto a topic that's become really popular in our podcast. Amy, tell us what you're celebrating. She says facetiously. Yeah. Okay, well, let me just say that I got a very exciting email today. And the sender of the email is Dyson, Dyson Care. And the subject of the subject line of the email says, Happy birthday to your Dyson V11 vacuum. So apparently it is the one year vacuversary for me and my V11. And I mean, your Dyson's a Virgo. What a surprise. (laughs) You know, but you hate my Dyson. So I don't hate your Dyson. I just hate hearing about it every week. Because you're jealous. (laughs) Are you going to be like Kim and Q and put a little put a little hat on it and say, oh, you're so cute lovely and say happy birthday to my lovely yeah Yeah. i mean i didn't know but now that i know i have to make a big deal out of it so Mm -hmm. we're we're gonna go vacuum some litter after this around the cat's litter boxes (laughs) so romantic (laughs) sounds so good i know (laughs) i don't even know how we segue i don't either i don't know i'm gonna talk about myself for a minute then okay yeah do it because it's my birthday and that's better than a vacuum Um, so I actually do not make a big deal about birthdays for me. However, I, in the past used to make this mistake. So I'm just going to say this is like a PSA to anyone who may have ever had this happen for them. So I think I used to be in a trap where I'd be like, it's my birthday. I want someone to like do something nice for me. That's going to like feel good on like a certain level. That's going to like really like validate me somehow. And like, that's a natural human impulse to want. However, When I turned 40 and I decided I wanted to see Hamilton for my birthday and my husband had like no interest in seeing Hamilton, I had this like profound experience that's changed my life, which is I am responsible for my own happiness. And on my 40th birthday, I took myself to Hamilton. I took my two of my kids who were interested. I ordered a fancy um, cake from like Milk Bar that came to me and I got myself presents and I got everything I wanted, I got the cake I wanted, and I got the experience I wanted. And I was like, actually, why have I been kind of settling for this, like, half-assed, like, you know, like, you made an effort-ish, but, like, you know, like, I'd be like, I kind of walked away always feeling, like, a little bit, like, like, it didn't really, like, get me. So now I'm like, I just want to have exactly what I want to have, and, like, I'm just going to get it for myself, and then I'm going to let you all come and have it. Like, my family can just enjoy it with me. And I hope that that doesn't sound sad to anyone because it actually doesn't feel sad at all. It feels very good. No, I think it's amazing. So for tomorrow for my birthday, we're getting Korean food. I've already said at 630. I've got the order that I'm putting in. So we're going to have the food I want to have. I'm going to let us have a cake because I don't really give a shit about cake, but I'm also not in the mood for sweets. So it's more for like 
my kids who are like really excited about cake. Cause I was like, what do I want for dessert? And I was like, nothing. I just really want Korean food and soju. And so I'm going to do, <laughs> yes. yeah, that's sweet enough, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I ordered myself um, a keyboard, an 88 like key digital keyboard with like weighted keys. And I used to, to do piano. Like when I was younger, my mom had lots of aspirations. I've talked in the past how she put me in figure skating. I was a big fail. She put me into piano lessons for over a decade. And I was never a genius. <laughs> I was never a genius. But I could play. Like I could play piano. It's just like not like, you know, I was never going. A prodigy. I wasn't going to a concert hall, let's put it that way. Yeah. But I like can read music if I have to. And I didn't enjoy piano, so I kind of like put it away for a long time. But lately I've been like, oh, I kind of want to have like a hobby that feels not always like everything I do is on the computer. And I really don't mind being on the computer, but I was like, I kind of energetically want to do like something else too. And so, yeah, I have a uh, keyboard coming tomorrow and I got headphones for it and I got BTS sheet music. <laughs> I love oh, it. I, I love, love it. And show tune music. And I was like, I'm going to teach myself BTS and show tunes <laughs> with my like little headphones on like, burr, 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 and it's going to be awesome. So, and then we're going to become a hospital playlist type band. Exactly. So right. I just wanted to, put I'll pick up the violin again, plug that like, if you're ever waiting for somebody to like, you know, do some sort of like gift giving, like, you know, experience that's going to make you feel a certain way. And when it doesn't happen, you're like, meh, meh. it really, it takes, it feels awesome to just like take that back to yourself no i i mean i completely agree I, th I feel like my husband and i have been doing that more like the older we get like if there's something i really want for my birthday i mean i just i just get it i don't really wait for him to like, like, like why to i want to get like oh yeah maybe megan would have liked that like i'm like no just fucking get it yeah just i'll just like you know what i mean because i it's actually really fun to like research what you really want order it it's like satisfying to like get get it in the mail yourself and know that i'm like i did this mm -hmm. like i got this for myself i don't think and it's you deserve it too yeah. you know like you deserve it yeah so i'm excited for your birthday leah it's you'll have like to make us a new perfect day maybe you can oh make us God. a new uh, podcast <laughs> intro <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it'll be like bah, 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 bah. <laughs> amy's daughter can sing it there we go there you go that would be <laughs> Amazing. It's like janky <laughs> piano. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's it's like, it's, it will like put a synth effect on it. It'll be great. You know, okay. it's going to have sick beats. Oh, I was going to say, I've got a segue. And that sounds like I could throw some sick beats down. Yeah. Ooh. 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 You like that? That is, yes. We are throwing sick beats tonight. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Take it away. Oh, my God. I don't think I can pull off saying sick beats, but I just yeah, said it. You did. Okay. So this week, we're going back to why this podcast began. All three of us are writers, and the reason we fell for K-drama in the first place is because drama writers are excellent storytellers. But what makes a good storyteller? Talent? Sure, writing is a talent, but like any other talent, whether it's singing, dancing, acting, painting, or walking while hula hooping... It must, be, it must be home with practice, practice of specific skills inherent to that talent. When we talk about writing skills, you probably think of the necessary ability to string words together to make sentences. 
equal importance should be given to dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's, as well as knowing the difference between a colon and a semicolon and when you put a comma before a conjunction and when you don't. Okay, so Amy might be the only one who geeks out on that. Also, don't forget our debate on it's okay not to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) But what about the meat of the story? The beginning, middle, and end. What makes some stories work while others may not? While we cannot do anything to change a reader or viewer's personal preference, we're here to tell you that there is a formula to novel writing and script writing. There are many formulas, actually, but we're going to talk about the one that works for us and that works for breaking down almost any novel that you read, movie you watch, (laughs) or drama that you binge for 20 hours straight. That's right. We're going to tell you how the sausage is made with dun, 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 beat sheets. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to hear beat sheets anymore without dropping sick beat sheets. <laughs> okay, so before we get down and dirty, let's reminisce, shall we? How were we all introduced to beat sheets for novel writing, and how has it taken us over a year to talk about beat sheets in relation to dramas? So I think the first beat sheet I ever read was like way back in the early days of self-publishing, like I, like you know, at least for me, like 2012, 2013, and that was on author Jamie Gold's website. I don't know if you guys, yeah, have... that's the, that's I do okay. remember that that's one. That's the yep. only site I ever use, actually. Yeah, and uh, she still she still blogs. I actually just went to her website just to double check. Um, then I think Amy told me to read "Save the Cat" by Blake Snyder, which I loved, and I feel I have a few of his books now. Um, the first "Save the Cat," which we'll obviously get into, that's mainly what we're focused on focusing on today. Uh, but the first "Save the Cat" was more focused on screenwriting, but it still checks out in regards to writing fiction. Um, I do own his "Save the Cat" writes a novel. And then author Gwen Hayes released Romancing the Beat, which is specifically geared towards story structure for romance writers. And honestly, after that book, I'm not sure I've ever been the same because it it basically condensed romance into perfect, perfect beats that were so easy to follow. So look, I think all stories have formulas, whether people want to admit it or not. You know, mysteries, thrillers, romance, they all do it. But that still doesn't make it easy um and I, I and honestly i don't know why it took us over a year it's so crazy um we actually got a twitter message from another author who listens to our podcast and she asked us to record about beat cheating and i like wanted to smack myself in the forehead because right. i was like how have we not done this i know I just wanted to quick give credit for Saves a Cat. S- Save the Cat Writes a Novel is actually by Jess Brody, <gasps> Jessica Brody, and not Blake oh, Snyder. You're right. Because Blake Snyder, he passed away in 2009. Okay. Um, but she took like the Save the Cat method and made it apply more towards novel writing. Okay. Um, so I just wanted to give her credit there because I have that. No, you're right. I, I should have checked that. Yeah. That, no, it's, not, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> just giving credit where credit is due. But yeah, I'm really laughing that like – we're all about writing and we came to K-dramas, you know, because of our love of writing, yet we've never talked about how our writing compares to like what's going on in drama. So thank you to um, the author friend who reached out on Twitter and gave us. The, it was L.A. Mitchell. The... Oh, thank you. Thank you, L.A. Mitchell, for giving us the idea to do this because I can't believe it didn't like cross our minds yet. I know. Um, for me, um, yeah, I mean, all, all stories do have formulas, which I didn't 
know when I first started writing, like my very first novel, my first like two, I think, because the first one didn't get published. Uh, I just like flew by the seat of my pants. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, I'm just making up a story as I go along here. And then I think it was um, another author friend of ours, Amy Trueblood, who has like the best name in the world, too. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it was her who recommended the book to me. Like, I'm going back to like 2012 or 2013 now, too. So I'm not 100% sure. But I know it was one of those things that was passed on to me from another writer. And for some reason, I feel like it was her. And it was the same thing where she was like, it says it's for screenwriting, but I swear this totally applies to novel writing, and you're going to love it, and I absolutely do. Like, it, it was kind of like an aha moment for me. Like, oh, like, I know all these things when I'm reading a story or when I'm watching a movie or whatever, but it didn't click until I saw it all kind of spelled out. Um, and I also just want to make a point, too, that, like, with the beats, they work for most stories, but they work mostly primarily in genre. I would say like, I think yeah. you can like do some lit fic or, you know, art house films that are going to have beats obviously. Um, but I think we're talking more through like a commercial fiction lens as well yeah, and commercial totally. entertainment. Um, Absolutely. And I'm not saying that dismissively because um, genre fiction, I think is very challenging because of the fact that you want to give people that experience that they know and seek and crave but in a way that feels fresh. And that's Completely tremendously agree. hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, really that's all I have to say because later on we talk about some other things. So, mm-hmm. okay. End it there. Or you both go, mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so in order for us all to sit, oh my God. So in order for us all to stay on the same page. No, 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 you skipped. No. Do any movies, books, or television shows, right? No. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought that was all Leah's answer. No, sorry, I missed that's that. You. Okay. Sorry. So I gotta do some dad joke in here. So in order for us all to stay on the same page, see what I did there? Yes. <laughs> um, but so we're all working off the same model. We're going to use the Blake Snyder beat sheet for tonight's pot. So the Blake Snyder beat sheet comes from his book, Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. Blake Snyder was a screenwriter, consultant, author, and educator who passed away, like we said, in 2009. Um, And I'm going to quote from his Wikipedia page here because it's a great explanation of what the title means. The title Save the Cat was coined by Snyder to describe the decisive moment when the protagonist demonstrates that they are worth rooting for. Snyder writes, it's the scene where we first meet the hero or heroine. I'm just going to use hero as like the common denominator in order to gain audience favor and support for the main character right from the start. So this lets us know right away kind of who we're rooting for and anchors the audience into really having a sense of um, the folks that they're going to be cheering on. It's the scene where we first meet the hero in order to gain audience favor and support for the main character right from the start. So do any movies, books, or television shows come to mind that actually start with a really great save the cat moment? Bonus point if you actually have a hero actually saving a cat. (laughs) 
So uh, this question made me laugh a lot because I mentioned this in our Squid Game podcast. Uh, I'm, Leah probably remembers, but, you know, kind of it, there's always the, the writerly, which came from Save the Cat, but the writerly advice, you know, if you want to make your character sympathetic, you want uh, the reader or the viewer to root for them, you give them something vulnerable to save. And it was like really clunky. I will mm-hmm. say this was clunky in Squid Game. Um because Gihun, the the main character, like they set him up, he's kind of a terrible guy. I mean, he's really not likable from the offset. He's like a gambler. He like even steals money from his elderly mom to gamble, and but then they like randomly give him this homeless cat to feed. <laughs> he's not so bad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and it's it's very funny because I was like, oh, they're clearly like someone read you know, save the cat by, by Blake Snyder and took it really literally because it was a little clunky. But anyway, they tried. It's, it's okay. So a good example, I think, is Aladdin. So in the, you know, in the opening scene, basically, it's like the first thing in, in the movie, he's a thief stealing bread. And he's, you know, he's like running from the... Just the townspeople. I don't know, it's the not co- <laughs> cops, townspeople, the whatever cops. they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know and he's got his monkey with him and it's like they're singing that whole song that one jump but in the end as he's you know he finally gets away and he's sitting down to eat his bread even though he's starving he sees some children in need and he hands over his bread to them instead and it's like a classic you know those are really those children awesome were his cats I and love he that. saved them um and because I'm the musical theater loving person that I am, I'm now singing One Jump in my head because I know every word to that song because I love the movie Aladdin and I have the soundtrack <laughs> and it's super fun. But anyway, um, so I'm going a little bit different here because, yes, you can have the hero or heroine saving someone or something, but it's also like you can stretch that idea to just show your hero or heroine being vulnerable something that makes you want to root for them. So whether they are saving something, someone, or it's just something that makes them seem vulnerable. So I am going to Marvel, and I'm going to talk about the Avengers, Infinity War. So if you are an MCU fan, which we all know it stands for Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? (laughs) (laughs) If you're an MCU fan and for some reason have not seen this movie yet, it's like years old, Put on some earmuffs for about 30 to 45 seconds, okay? Because I'm going to, you know, spoil the opening scene of Infinity War. Okay. So the opening scene of the movie has the villain, Thanos, played by Josh Brolin, boarding the escape ship of the Asgardians, who had to flee their planet after Ragnarok. Which, if you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, you've no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. So he's there to acquire the Tesseract, which holds the Space Stone from Loki to Art favorite Tom Hiddleston, um, who steps up and tries to attack Thanos only to be killed for the millionth time in the MCU. Never trust that Loki is dead. Just I'll say that. Um, Even when he's really dead, he's not dead because there's time travel. And there's a Loki show. So you all know that Loki's still, you know, up and running. So next up is Heimdall, played by the lovely Idris Elba. And he invokes the Bifrost and sends the Hulk to Earth to warn the other Avengers right before Thanos kills him, too. Thor, who is there but captive, has to watch his brother and his best friend die. This, I think, is a great Save the Cat moment because it shows our band of heroes trying to stand up to the big baddie but already experiencing some devastating defeat in the opening scene. 
It makes the seemingly all-powerful team of superheroes vulnerable and makes the audience realize, oh shit, we might not win this one. So then, of course, you're rooting for them because the heroes have now sort of become the underdogs. Okay, so I decided to surprise you both with uh, picking the opening of Top Gun Maverick, which I just saw in the theater because I... (laughs) Because I just didn't think that was going to... You I was very surprised when I read that that was your pick. I've been doing dates with my husband on a weekly basis lately. And I've been letting him pick the movies we've been seeing. Because I'm usually very opinionated. And so Mm -hmm. I've been seeing things I wouldn't normally watch. Including Top Gun Maverick. Okay. I heard it was very good though. Did you like it? It was very good, but I enjoyed it. I've heard good things. Okay. I've heard good things. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. okay, that's fair. So yeah. we, the, you know, in Top Gun, it starts with um, Lieutenant Pete Mitchell. And, you know, it's been a minute since the original Top Gun. So as an audience, I think we're all wondering, like, has he changed or is he still a wild card ace? And like, he's a test pilot on some ultra secretive plane project thing. Because look, I'm not going to pretend that I can speak action movie. But anyway, the word is coming <laughs> that a military bigwig who's played by my older thirst trapped Ed Harris. I forgot how much yes. I have thirst for Ed then Harris. Then you should see The Rock, Leah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah! So I was yeah, going to say that. To shut down the project because he's like some big admiral and he wants to move Navy investment into drones, not into like person flown aircrafts. And so. There's like this test, whereas if like this big fancy test that like a uh, test jet that Mitchell's been a test pilot on, if it can fly to Mach 10, which I don't even really know what that means, but it was like a big deal. Like if it flies to Mach 10, then the project can proceed. And they're like, oh, but like we've only gotten to Mach 7. And so obviously Pete Mitchell's like, hold my beer. And he jumps into like the bazillion dollar test Can you plane please, as, can like, you please, Admiral's- is this Maverick? Like- Nobody yeah. calls him Pete Mitchell. <laughs> I was kind of like, who is Pete Mitchell? No one ever calls him Pete Mitchell. I was thinking that. The- I was thinking, oh, Maverick, my God. <laughs> Tom Cruise, right? Tom Cruise is Maverick. Nobody knows the name Pete Mitchell. You mean Peter. Peter Mitchell. <laughs> so Peter gets in the plane. Look, I did my best. <laughs> I know, it's just... Oh my god, okay. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, pr- I'm proud that I've I'm crying. <laughs> I'm like listening the whole time. I'm like, wait. I'm like, who? Like, I'm is so Miles pr- Teller playing some guy named Pete Mitchell? <laughs> Who's Pete Mitchell? Oh no, this god. is okay, Maverick. So... He's just Maverick. Maverick. <laughs> yeah, so Maverick... <laughs> God, and I've lost my train of thought. So Ma- Maverick gets in this plane okay. that hasn't flown to Mach 10. And okay. he's like, okay. fuck this. And he flies it to Mach 10, which looks like it's hard. I don't know. You see the curvature of the earth and like shit's real in his plane. And uh, the aircraft <laughs> blows up like because it can't hold like after Mach like. 10, they're like, oh, he's going past Mach 10 to like Mach 10.2. And then the plane's like, and blows up. And he ejects himself. And the next thing you do, you see, is this like roadside, like honky tonk cafe. And Tom 
Cruz, Maverick, Peter Mitchell, <laughs> limps in, singed, beat up, and he asks for a glass of water. So I feel like immediately you know this story is going to be about some mega talented pilot who has little to no regard for the rules in pursuit of what he deems is right and good for his team. And I think it's also important to note that it's not all about his personal glory, although he seems to think he's pretty awesome, because he really believes in the importance of pilots and their skills as being something not replaced by computers. And, well, that's pretty much the fucking movie. <laughs> like, I'm I'm trying to listen to your, like, lovely explanation, but I can't turn off in my head, is Pete Mitchell Maverick? Like, who's Pete Mitchell? Like... <laughs> fucking maverick it's maverick it's iceman it's goose it's yeah fuck fucking right i was like what is goose's name Ted like, i don't even know because he's goose i know the actor who played goose but i don't know what goose's name was in the movie other than goose but they use iceman's name in the movie <sighs> let me see what yeah he is oh yeah they yeah, they i heard that they the did one? really well like writing around his inability to speak oh. Tom Kazansky. That's Goose or that's Tom, Iceman? I didn't even know he couldn't. Tom Kazansky is Iceman. Although I do believe like a minute ago you said Iceman. Okay. <laughs> Iceman. She did. Iceman. It, it's Iceman. It's Iceman. I love all Iceman? I mean like Iceman, Iceman. It's not like it's his last name, like Goldman. <laughs> his name's not like I'm... His I'm name's not like Tom Iceman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it's not. Iceman is his call no, sign. Yeah. Okay. 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 Hang on. I'm going to look up Goose's name now because I'm curious. His, his call, call sign. Was, Amy's his like. Name Nick Bradshaw. That's Goose's That's name? Goose's name. Yeah. Nick Bradshaw. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Zero idea. Yeah. Nick as far as I'm concerned, these Bradshaw. these people do not have first and last names. It is just Maverick, I Maverick, Iceman, oh, and Goose. God. When Goose died, that you was. You know what, Amy? Someday you're going to be at trivia night, <laughs> and you're going to be able to. You know to what? And out. I will thank you. Oh, you're you right. Nick Bradshaw and Pete Mitchell, the iconic duo of Top Gun, also known as Maverick, Maverick and Goose. The iconic duo of t- <laughs> the Bosom Buddies. Let me just say one last thing about Top Gun oh, before we shit. move on. Um, I will say that, um, yeah. so at the beginning of June, I went to see my brother for his 40th, and we took a uh, cruise around, like, San Diego Bay, which is, like, where, like, the Top Gun. <laughs> Wait, a boat or a cruise? <laughs> we cruised in a boat, a sailboat that you rented, and it had a sea captain. <laughs> and there was... A okay, lot of, uh, what is the alcohol that tastes like, um, red, no, cinnamon. Goldschlager or Fireball? Fireball. Fireball, F- yes. No, Fireball. fireball. <laughs> <laughs> Who? <Is> Antonella? <laughs> yeah, what? there was a that lot is like of college. Anyway, that was where, like, you know, the chopper thing went over us that had lots of, I forget the name of it. And it was like a big, expensive, like chopper plane thing. And the guy driving the boat was like, "You know what this sounds like?" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "Freedom." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> more fire, more fireball for me." Glug glug glug. <laughs> anyway, he was the one who's like, "Have you seen Top Gun Maverick?" And I was like, "Absolutely, no, I actually have not." She's like, "You mean Top Gun Pete like, Mitchell?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, in it, there's a boat scene. Have you watched Top Gun?" 
Bautista. The new one? No, not the new one. No. Okay. So in the new one, there's not a the new one. cheesy scene where the girl who, like, Jennifer Connelly, who they replaced, like, the older woman with, so she's, like, younger and hotter. Um, she's like, I'm just going to go sail home in my big fucking crazy yacht. And he's, like, hops on for the ride. And they're just, like, gunning it through the bay. Except San Diego Bay is not very big. And so they're in, like, San Francisco. Like, they're in, like, open water. And I guess maybe you have to live in California for it to be funny. But it was just <laughs> funny to watch them, like, cruising through, like, you know, the land is, like, this, like, little speck in the distance. And I'm like, San Diego Bay was, like, narrow and crowded and full of boats. And instead they were on this. Uh, I good story. It's not good story. It's as, it's as good as vacuums. <laughs> Let's move on. So let's we're gonna you know we've been talking about beach sheets we're gonna tell you what beach sheets are okay we're not gonna get like too into craft here but there is a specific formula there are 15 beats in the blake snyder beat sheet and basically it's these 15 beats that make up a screenplay or for us a novel and they're kind of interchangeable and that's what we love about it so we're just gonna let you all, let you know what the 15 beats are and then a little bit later we'll show you some examples of them so we promise not to get too you know author crafty here um, all right, so the Blake Center beat, beat sheet, um, and this explanation of the beat sheet, uh, I didn't actually like type it out from my book because I was uh, not home where my book was. So I uh, there's a couple of great websites that have like the Blake Snyder beat sheet spelled out. So just giving credit because I use this website a lot, and it's uh, Tim Stout's website, timstout.wordpress.com, for the story structure of the beat sheets. And there's 15, so we're each just going to take five. Who wants to do the first five? All right. I'll take it. So the opening image. This is a visual that represents the struggle and tone of the story. A snapshot of the main character's problem before the adventure begins. Then we have the setup. This expands on the before snapshot. This presents the character's world as it is and what is missing in their life. Next is theme stated. And this happens during the setup. So this is where, as an author, you present what your story is actually about. The message, the truth. And usually it is spoken to the main character or in their presence. But they don't really understand the truth. Not until they have some personal experience and context to support it. <clears throat> next is the catalyst i love the, writing the catalyst it's like my favorite thing to write so this is the moment where life as it is changes it is the telegram the act of catching your loved one cheating allowing a monster on board the ship meeting the true love of your life etc so essentially the before world is no more and change is underway and then next is the debate Change is scary, and for a moment, or for a brief number of moments, the main character doubts the journey they must take. Can they face this challenge? Do they have what it takes? Should they go all in? It, it is the last chance for the hero to chicken out. So then there's break into two. The main character makes a choice and the journey begins. We leave the thesis world and enter the upside down, opposite world of act two. B story. This is when there's a discussion about the theme, the nugget of truth. Usually this discussion is between the main character and the love interest. So the B story is usually called the love story. Then there's the promise of the premise. This is when Indiana Jones tries to beat the Nazis to the Lost Ark. When the detective finds the most clues and dodges the most bullets. This is when the main character explores the new world and the audience is entertained by the premise they have been promised. 
then there's the midpoint. Dependent on the story, this is the moment when everything is great or everything is awful. The main character either gets everything they think they want, great, or don't get what they think they want at all, awful. But not everything we think we want is actually what we need in the end. Then we get to the bad guys close in. Doubt, jealousy, fear, foes, both emotional and physical, regroup to defeat the main character's goal. And the main character's great or awful situation disintegrate. And then we get to all is lost. The opposite moment from the midpoint, awful slash great. The moment that the main character realizes they've lost everything they gained or everything they now have has no meaning. The initial goal now looks even more impossible than before, and here, something or someone dies. It can be physical or emotional, but the death of something old makes way for something new to be born. And then here's a really fun one. The Dark Knight of the Soul. The main character hits bottom and wallows in hopelessness. The why hast thou forsaken me, Lord, moment, mourning the loss of what has quote-unquote died, the dream, the goal, the mentor character, the love of your life, etc. But you must fall completely before you can pick yourself back up again and try again. And then we've got Act 3, or Break into 3. So thanks to a fresh idea, new inspiration, or last-minute thematic advice from the B story, usually the love interest, the main character chooses to try again. Finale. This time around, the main character incorporates the theme, the nugget of truth that now makes sense to them, into their fight for the goal because they have experiences from the A story and context from the B story. Act three is about synthesis. And then we have the final image, which is the opposite of the opening image, proving visually that a change has occurred within the character. The end. Whew. That's it in a nutshell. The magic formula. The secret sauce. Yeah. And I think that like part of it is that as you're listening, you might be like, well, what if it, there's like no Nazis or there's no, you know? And so that's, I think what we're going to try to like talk about a little bit later on is give some more examples. Like these are kind of like, you know, they, these, this, this formula really is real. Even if it sounded like sometimes you're like, no, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think people would be surprised if you, like I could beat sheet out a, a movie and you would be like, oh, you're like, you don't realize that these are happening because that's obviously deaf storytelling as well is that you're incorporating these things um, seamlessly. Like it just it just, you know, it just kind of flows. And I will say, like, because we are all romance writers and we do, um, you know, watch and talk about a lot of romance dramas, that the one thing that we'll add is if you're going to call something a romance and you're going to, you know, write a beat sheet for a romance story, that that final image must be a happily ever after or a happy for now type of thing. That's just kind of a rule of romance. Correct? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. If not, then it's just a love story. Don't call if it a romance. If they're dead at the end and you're crying in a Nicholas Sparks, that's not a romance. Okay. So, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, you know, we were mentioning formulas and rules and stuff. Do you think a story is lacking if it's missing any specific beats? Or can writers play with the formula and kind of make it work for them? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that you can skip beats, but just like I think you need to know the rules to break them, I think you need to know the beats to understand which ones you can leave behind based on your characters. But like some books or movies out there that maybe have more of what we'd call a gray moment than a black moment, meaning everything 
like it never truly seems lost. Like things aren't going great, but like we're never like, oh my gosh, how are they ever going to come back from this? And sometimes that's okay. Like sometimes readers aren't looking for that much tension or, you know, viewers. So if you know your audience, then you know which beats are the most necessary and which ones you can kind of bend, break, or leave out completely. And yeah, and I think that one thing I want to just like, you know, I get people, and I think you probably all do too, and it, it's fine, is people will be like, oh, I've thought about writing before. And I'm certainly like no like writing genius expert. But, you know, people will be like, I want to write a book or da, da, da. And so a lot of times I feel like I'll talk to people and be like, okay, well, tell me more about like, you know, it's awesome you want to write. What are you thinking about? Like, how's your process going? Like normalizing the fact that usually when you start writing, everything feels like shit. And even when you've been writing for a long time, first drafts generally just feel like garbage. Um, but I'll get people that are like, well, I just want to do something like really experimental <laughs> or I want to do something that like, you know, and there's just like this poo-pooing of like the fact that like, cause I'll try to be like, oh, let's talk about beats. And people be like, oh, well, I don't want to do it like that. And I'll be like, okay, yeah. I guess you don't want to write like fucking Shakespeare then. Or, you know, anybody else who's like written to be, it's just, it's like a thing that is real. <laughs> and so, like you said, Megan, like you need to know the rules to break them. It's like, if you're going to be experimental, fine. And maybe some people are great at being experimental right. without right. having like any kind of deep understanding of story structure. But I'd say for like 99.9% of people know the structures. And then if you're going to make conscious choices to like not have certain things, it's because you've like thought out a reason why you want it to tell the story that way. Um, but for the most part, especially if you're writing commercial fiction, like your challenge is not to like be like, how can I do away with the beats? Your challenge is how can I make these feel fun and entertaining? So it feels like something the audience hasn't seen or experienced. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because uh, say take a horror movie. I could beat sheet out a horror movie for you or even say like a Quentin Tarantino movie. I could beat sheet out Kill Bill. You wouldn't think I could, but trust me. Kill Bill still follows a formula. And so, because that's just... Actually, like, really, like, structure. Yeah. 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 And feet. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> what? Didn't she... He has, like, yeah. a foot Tarantino fetish. He's always, like... Yeah, he always, like... Yeah. Oh, that makes me think he's mm -hmm. hotter than I ever have before. Oh, the dirty birdie. Yeah. Notice he always, like, zooms in on his, like, female character's feet. But that's not the point. Okay, so, um, but yeah, anyway, I just, you know, it's just funny because I'll be watching anything like that and I'm like, okay, yeah, like that's, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not just like Disney yep. movies, it's everything. So, so. do you beat sheet okay. every time you write then? I mean, we're, we're sitting here yeah. talking about this, that there is a formula. Do you like physically sit down and go through the 15 beats every time you plan a story? Uh, no. I don't, I mean, I don't do that. I, I would say that I have in the past. Um, but at this point, I think I've like, well, I would say this is, I start writing by jotting down sort of like my main scenes, which are based on the beat sheets. It's just, I don't necessarily pick out all the 15, but I kind of cover maybe, I would say like the three acts. And um, yeah, so I, I, I write down all those uh, that I know I have to cover for the story to be coherent. And then I start writing. And I guess at this point, I've written enough books where I recognize the feeling when something has gone wrong and I'm stuck. Like a lot of times it happens around 20,000 words. And all of a sudden I'll be like, this isn't right. Something's something's off. And that's usually when I sit down and I actually do take a more detailed look at my beats because nine times out of 10, I missed a beat. And that is why 
the story isn't working. And as soon as I kind of like go back and fix that and like alter th- some things, then the story's flowing again. Yeah, that's GMC is always the hardest thing for me. Like the story structure itself, I usually can hammer that out. But where I usually get stuck is the GMC. Goal, motivation, conflict for everyone who is like... Goal, motivation, conflict. But I do I do beat sheet every, every book I write because I am a very linear thinker. And so I can't... Like editing is the hardest thing for me, especially if I have to do some big rewriting, which I'm actually doing in a book right now. I can do it, but my brain does not naturally function that way. And so it's a lot more difficult for me. So I will write out the 15 beats, uh, usually in like a a short format. Like I don't, you know, I'm not making like, you know, a 10,000 word outline or anything like that. It's usually like two or three pages. And then I put it away because at least once I get, once I get the 15 beats out, I'm like, okay, I have a story. Like I know I have a story, but then I put it away because once I start writing, the story takes detours like on its own all the time. And I want that natural detour to happen when it needs to happen. But like Megan was saying, you know, Megan, like you're saying, like if you write yourself into a corner, then I can go back to my beat sheet and be like, what the fuck am I missing? Oh yeah, I was supposed to do that. So it's the same thing, but I just already have it in a file somewhere that says you were supposed to do this and you didn't kind of thing. You know, there's, we didn't, haven't talked too much about the terms plotting and pantsing either, where there's plotting, where you might do more what Amy's talking about, which is like writing out like at least a two line, two page kind of like, this is how the plan of the story is going to go versus um, pantsing where you can see Megan has like an idea kind of internalized of how the beats are meant to be, but she's like winging it more. I probably fall more on the pantsing side, but what I've found that's worked for me has been, um, pull it like just like there's a website where you can actually just like pull up the beat sheets into like an excel spreadsheet and fill them out i do not do that i just pull up the excel spreadsheet because you can input in like word count so i could be like i'm writing like a seventy-five thousand word book and then it's going to be like okay well at like five thousand words the catalyst needs to happen or whatever whatever and i'll just kind of keep that on my computer like on my desktop and that way I can pants, but like every once in a while I'll be like, okay, I'm like getting to like 23,000 words. Like what kind of, am I on track to kind of be roughly in line with the structure of my story? And this spreadsheet is at uh, Jamie Gold's website. She's, she is a, she's yeah. a fountain of gold. Like she really, yeah. yeah. She's an author, but she's done a lot of work with like, yeah, plotting and um, things like that. And so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just usually, I just pull up. I've got one of her spreadsheets saved and it just, it literally just has the beats and, and it, where they should happen. You know, kind of, yeah. And like, I think you're meant to kind of write in more of the story yeah, about yeah. it. It's just, since I pants it, then I'm p- pantsing, but with like some strategy behind it. And that's helped me a lot because I think if you look at like my first published book, my beats are fucked up. Same, and same. Or, so it's are mine. a good book ish. Like I thought my voice was fine, but like, when I had reviews that were some people were like, meh, I'm like, yeah, because I muddled up the beats really bad. <laughs> but we learn. So. We learn as we go. Yeah. And that, I mean, I can't turn it off either. Like 100% cannot turn it off. But to the extent like where it's turned me into a bit of an asshole, like I, I like to be right about things, but I don't intend to, I don't intend to ruin things for other people. Hey, 
So I think I mentioned this in an earlier pod too, but just in case you didn't hear me talk about it then, when my kids and I went to go see Spider-Man No Way Home, this is the most recent Spider-Man movie, which they're re-releasing in September with new footage. So of course, we're going to go back to the theater and see it because that's the kind of people we are. Take all our money, Sony. Um, So I get really caught up in like that closing and opening image and how like the frame of the story and how it like mirrors, you know, itself. And so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to ruin it, but I did ruin this movie for my kids unintentionally because in the sort of opening scene, this thing happens that I'm like, I know exactly how they're going to mirror that at the end. And I said to my kids, this is what's going to happen at the end of the movie. And I was right. And so they're like, why would you say that? I'm like, I was just predicting, but like, I knew I was right because I know story structure and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't intend to ruin it for them, but I also was, like, very proud of myself for... It was still a great movie. Like, I enjoyed it thoroughly, but I definitely was able to figure out the story because I know story structure and because you can beat cheat any Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's honestly ruined so much for me because I can't. I can't turn it off. I can't. Um, and what's funny is I noticed my son is starting to pick up on beats and shows. I never explained it to him. I think he's just watched enough stuff now that he and he has kind of, uh, I don't know, like a logical brain or something. But it's funny because he'll pick that up, too. Um, but, you know, I always it's 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 always the all is lost moment, like right before the third act. Um, that's such a so common in action movies where, you know, you think a main character is going to fail. So it's like kind of like that all is lost. And they're like, you know, they're really down and out. Um, uh, but in the, the end, they, they rally and win. It's kind of like in action movies, there's that final battle scene, um, you know, where they're losing or, you know, and then they like, I don't know, look to their loved one or they remember what they're fighting for, you know, so they bring that theme, that lesson they learned from the beginning when they bring that into what they're fighting for, then all of a sudden, you know, they get that punch in that wins or, or, or whatever. I don't know, just think of like Rocky or like the original Mad Maxes or anything, any of those like action movies and it's in there and you'll notice it every single time. It's the point now we're like kind of in that final battle when they're like getting the crap beat out of them. I'm just like tapping my fingers because I'm like, okay, when's, when are they going to bring that lesson in? And then, you know, they're going to rally because I know it's coming. I apparently am just very good at turning off my brain because I just turn it off and don't think about it at all. Well, here, okay, and here's where, like, I guess maybe rather than sounding like I'm just like this, like, entertainment, shallow person, I'm going to say that I'm more, like, I'm going to be much more of a, I'm going to out myself as more of a snobby asshole. I will say that what I'm probably looking at more is, like, theme stuff and, like, character archetype than I am, like, the structure. And now it's time for our favorite part of every episode, which is our K-pop wreck of the week. So, Megan, what do you have for us today? So, I have not recommended this group on the podcast before, so I'm very excited. They are a new um, rookie-ish girl group, and they are IVE. That's I-V-E. And their song that I'm recommending is called After Like. And I'm just, I just love this song so much. There's like almost like an orchestral background. It's like a pop. It's like pop. It's very poppy, very poppy and fun. But it has also this like orchestral background at times. And it's doing you know great in the music shows as it should. It's just fantastic. I like the choreography and it's just, ah, it's just in my head 
nonstop. I love it. So anyway, it is After Like, and that's by Ive, I-V-E. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, glow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. So, okay, we've kind of talked like high level about the beats, laid out what they are, but I'm a kinesthetic learner. I just think sometimes it's like nice to like learn by doing or learn by kind of like, you know, why don't we give specific concrete examples from different K-dramas and show how they hit that beat. So each of us picked... um, five beats and um, we're going to give an example of how a particular drama scene kind of fit within the scope of that beat so let's start with opening image yeah so i'm taking opening image um and just to recap a visual that represents the struggle and tone of the story so it's kind of the looks at the main character's problem So I chose I Am Not a Robot, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. It's just that this opening scene, and I'll just let you know right now, I'll also be doing the closing scene um, because these two mirror each other so freaking well. So the opening scene in I Am Not a Robot, the main character, Kim Min-Q, you know, pulls into a parking garage in his all-black car. He takes out his baton. He's wearing gloves. And he walks into an office where he's trying to get his military enlistment waived, essentially. And the reason is because he has an allergy to human touch. And the the doctors don't believe him. And so he takes off his gloves, he touches their arm, and he breaks out in these, like, hives or, or boils. And so that's the scene. And basically, it fits this beat so well it sets up the conflict right away uh it also shows his shame because he's he is ashamed it's not that he doesn't want to complete his military service it's that he's not able um it then shows the audience that his allergy is real uh this you know this actually happens to him um and yeah it shows how his it shows his world and how he lives differently than others you know his baton his gloves the way he dresses all of that. It's a great, great opening scene that sets the conflict for the show. I, it hooked me in the drama, like, immediately. So good. So I'm going to do setup and theme stated together. So that's beats two and three because they go together. And actually, um, 
the uh the save the cat website gives a bunch of examples like if you ever want to just see a tv show or a movie or a book like with the beats laid out for you the save the cat website does a lot of great examples and one of their newest examples is extraordinary attorney woo so i thought i would use that for setup and theme stated so the setup is just like you know here's like the before snapshot it's you know the main character's world as it is and like the theme like what's this going to be about kind of thing so Extraordinary Attorney Wu. Um, okay. So set, setting the scene. Five-year-old Wu Young Wu has never spoken a single word, which helped lead her pediatrician to a diagnosis of autism. One day, when their neighbor accuses Young Wu's father of sleeping with his wife, which he didn't. The wife just watched Young Wu sometimes, and the father was, you know, way off as far as what was happening. But he starts beating Young Wu's father in the streets. Like, it's this, like, crazy scene where he just, like, walks up to Young Wu's father and is like, you're sleeping with my wife, and just starts, like, wailing on him. And when the noise becomes so overwhelming and overstimulating for Young Wu, she suddenly shouts word for word her father's law book, like, textbook explanation of the legal punishment for inflicting bodily harm. So how does this fit the beat? This not only sets the scene of letting the viewer know that Young Wu is autistic, but it also lets us know that she cares about her father, is reading and speaking well above her age level, and that her love of interpreting law starts now. This then informs the theme, which is what the whole story is about. And it is Wu Young Wu's social relationships as well as her career as a lawyer and navigating it all as a person with autism. That fits the beat perfectly. It really is. And it's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so well, right? Like so well. Like literally, like it lays mm-hmm. out the entire story. So, catalyst is beat number four. The moment where like everything changes, right? So I'm going with crash landing on you because I always got to go with crash landing on you for something. And setting the scene, Yoon Suri, in a bold attempt to test out her company's activewear by paragliding off of a mountain or a very high hill, gets caught in a tornado and is blown over the 38th parallel and into North Korea. How does this fit the beat? Uh, Dorothy is not in Kansas anymore. Everything is changing. (laughs) She's literally in an afterworld. It's not the before world. It's the afterworld. Her world is literally upside down because, (laughs) yeah. So um, next I have debate. So this is when, you know, the change is scary and the character has to decide if they are going to uh, make the change that has been um, presented to them in, in the catalyst. So um, I am choosing military prosecutor Doberman for this beat, and I wouldn't say this is actually a a huge spoiler. Um, So Doberman is the main character, played by (laughs) An Bohyun. I have to get him in a podcast somewhere. (laughs) He's like the new Nick Cage. I have to talk about him in every (laughs) podcast. Um, So his goal has always been to be a successful military prosecutor, um, and then he plans to leave the service to go into the private sector as a law- lawyer and make lots of money. Yes, that's simple, but that is Dobeman at the beginning of the drama. He's pretty self-centered and he's also a little bit shifty. He's he doesn't mind breaking some rules to get what he wants uh and it's usually, you know, a selfless or a selfish reason. So, but then he learns from fellow prosecutor Cha Un 
that he could possibly find out more about the death of his parents if he stays in the military and prosecutes cases next to her. So, you know, what decision should he make? So this fits into the beat really well because Dobeman waffles on this decision for a while. He basically isn't sure he's ready to face the truth of his past. You know, he's really on track to achieve all his goals. He can retire. He has a job already in a private sector. He has his, you know, his own office, a nameplate. Like it's everything he wants is like right there. But uh, Cha Wu-in has, has really dangled, you know, a really tempting carrot um, in his face. And he knows if he follows her, he there's going to be like a reckoning of his past behavior. Like, I think deep down he knows that he's done some some crappy stuff and, um, you know, or he can continue on his current path and stay ignorant, but but maybe rich. So he really has this inner debate with himself um, for a while. That's what I'm not going to tell you what he chooses. Yeah. You could probably figure it out by the title. Watch the drama. By the title of the drama. Yeah. Military <laughs> prosecutor Doberman. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so beat number six is break into two or act two, and this is the act the the main character makes the choice and the journey begins. We leave, you know, the thesis world and now we're in the upside down. And so I'm going with Goblin here. And this is not a huge spoiler if you haven't seen Goblin yet. It's just kind of when, you know, when things kind of shift a little bit. Shift a little bit. So setting the scene. June Tack, our uh, 19-year-old student who has been told since she was a little kid that she is the goblin's bride, but she has no idea what that means other than, you know, she sees dead people. Um, But this man sort of shows up in her life, and she thinks he might be the goblin, but he says he's not the goblin, and she's following him around. She follows him through this door, and he walks through this door. I think it's from the library. Right? Is the library? I think it's the library. He walks I think through, so. He walks through this door and she follows him and they're in Quebec. They were in South Korea and now they're in Quebec. And Kim Shin is our goblin, Gong Yu, and she should not have been able to follow him, but she was able to go through the door. And so literally it is clear now that he is a goblin and that she has revealed herself as the goblin's bride. And so now her choice is, you know, my my story is with you. Like, I'm the Goblin's Bride. What am I supposed to do? So how does this fit the beat? From here on out, Untak is now part of the magical world of goblins and reapers, and she has left her quote-unquote normal life behind literally by walking through a door. So sometimes yeah, we have... Couldn't, have couldn't like, be more right, obvious. Sometimes we have things that are, like, way on the nose for the beat. Like, <laughs> like this. <laughs> act two happens when Untak yeah. walks through the door into Canada. <laughs> okay so next i'm going to take b story um this is when there's a discussion about the theme the nugget of truth um and usually there's it involves a discussion between the main character and a love interest so it's sometimes it's called the love story so i'm actually going to go with a newer drama for this this is i'm going to go with if you wish upon me which is airing right now just because it's kind of fresh in my mind and because this was also right on the right on the nose when it came to the beat so the scene is Gyo Ray, played by Ji Chang Wook, is volunteering at a hospice as part of his community service, and Yeonju is a nurse <laughs> there. Uh, it's an understatement to say that Gyo Ray has led a hard life. <laughs> During one private conversation uh, between the two of them, Yeonju asks Gyo Ray about his dreams, and he really can't tell her one. He really never had the opportunity to dream. And so then she also asks him, well, what's, what's a moment you've ever been happy? You know, have you ever had food you you loved you know have you have you ever said i love you to someone and he can't 
tell her any of those things either. And so she basically says, well, to, to, to be happy. How about you? How about you make that your dream to be to be happy once in, in your life? And how it fits into the beat is the viewer is really starting to get a deep, uh, the deeper theme here of the drama in relation to the romance, you know, what it means to be happy, what constitutes a home. And this is all the B love story running concurrently with the external plot of the hospice and like Gio Ray's past, which is about to catch up to him. But it all leads back to kind of what makes you happy and what's something you want to do before you die. He is a tortured, miserable soul. Yeah. I, I, no, so he's telling me he's, at some point he stops wearing the gangster he suits. He's so. in the mostly track suits right now. I feel like they like okay, they gave him a break. Oh his, like, my bad, god! Bad, bad suits. Episodes oh, one through three are like terrible, so terrible bad. And suits. they're like bright, like a butt, like a silk button down that's <laughs> so got like terrible. lightning I'm like, on where did it. You or... Find that? Who sells that? <sighs> so okay, <laughs> finally I have one. Yeah. <laughs> you have the next you have the next we four. All have five. You, we all okay, have so I, it was just funny cuz when I got sent the script like when I looked at the script to like put in mine. I sent the script blank. Yeah, no, but last when I night. Looked, you had all just chosen like you guys front loaded it. So I'm back loading it apparently. So, okay. So we're at the promise of the present. We're at the promise of the premise. So this is like Again, the beat where, like, Indiana Jones tries to beat the Nazis to the Lost Ark. The detective finds the most clues and dodges the most bullets. This is when the main character explores the new world and the audience is entertained by the premise they have been promised. And also, I've heard, and this is what I really like, is that when you make a word-of-mouth recommendation, you're often doing the premise. Like, the premise of the premise. Oh, yeah. Um, and I so like that. And so it's kind of like what you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, you need to watch this because it's got blah. And it usually like if somebody recommends a drama to you, they're giving you the premise. Or I'll be like, "Hey, I'm selling you the drama. Let me give you like the promise that this is." And I think that fits into kind of what I chose. So I chose the drama Mr. Sunshine. And the beat that um I thought Mr. Sunshine kind of has the promise of the premise in really well is when we really see the bromance get going. And so there's this scene where Eugene or Mr. Sunshine, Dong Mei and He Sung, these three characters, get together at a bar and they drink together. So at this point, it's almost like a bad joke of a Korean American soldier, a Korean Yakuza boss and a wealthy playboy fiance, like all walk into a bar <laughs> and all of them are united. They're all completely different, except for one thing they have in common, which is they all love a Shin, who's the heroine of the drama. And two of them dislike each other i would say they might even hate each other however they both and so that's eugene and dong may however they both dislike he sung even more <laughs> and there's a lot of humor in the scene and you can see that eugene and dong may might be like romantic rivals but they also kind of respect each other as a worthy adversary and he sung is not broody or moody unlike the other two and brings a lot of levity to the situation so I think it fits the beat well because it really establishes this bromance as like a key part of Mr. Sunshine and is one of the true like heartfelt yet humorous connections in what is a pretty gut-wrenching drama. So, you know, I would say that when I would be making like the premise to someone and kind of a word of mouth wreck, I'd be like, yeah, there's a love story, a love triangle. Um, but there's also this big giant bromance at the heart of it. Well, right. And also Mr. Sunshine, I feel like at the heart too is the story of like three men and their complicated 
I mean, yes, Aishin is, is a main character, but in a way she stands for Korea, whereas the three men... It's... Yeah, so it's their complicated relationships to their well, Yeah, and so the fact yeah. that when yeah. those three men kind of come together and find common ground, that actually is a massive premise of of mm. of the show. And also when, you know, yeah, that is when things kind oh. of change. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I hit my water on my mug. More, more cowbell. More cowbell, yeah. please. But I mean, that, that really is like a, like a, like a big premise. Okay, so uh, the next one's pretty self-explanatory, and that's the midpoint. And, um, you know, this is kind of like everything's either kind of going great or it's all kind of awful. But, you know, it's not what we think we're at is probably not where we're going to be ending at. So I went with the drama When the Camellia Blooms. And in this scene, we have single mama and bar owner Dung Beck, and she is fighting with her baby daddy, telling him, please stop encroaching on her life and the life of their son. She lets him know, you know, I waited for you, like, after I had the baby, um, and you'd broken up with me. But that was a long time ago, and I've moved on. And Young Sik, who's played by my personal boyfriend, Kong Han Yul, he overhears this conversation. And he kind of, like, barges in to tell the baby daddy to scram. And he's like, I'm the woman, or <laughs> he's like, I'm the man that Dung Beck <laughs> needs. And then he and Dung Beck walk away holding it. hands. And Dung Beck kind of gives him this shy smile and tells him that she likes him, too. And this fits the beat because Young Sik gets a moment where things are looking up. Like, he's really been putting in the work here with this, like, very reticent, emotionally reticent woman. Mm. However, things are not all good. The serial killer is still in the loose. Mm-hmm. Dung Beck hasn't resolved a lot of her issues, both, like, in love and, like, with her family. And Young Sik's mom is also not a fan of this relationship. So it's a moment where things feel happy, but yeah, it's true. It's like a great midpoint because like things are starting to sway the right way. But a midpoint is usually when, yeah, you kind of hit like a break in one of the issues, but there's like a million more coming up that, you know, are going to rear their heads in a way, I guess. Okay, so now we're at bad guys close in. Which is just as it sounds. Like, kind of like, uh-oh, like, don't, don't, don't. We're not at, like, the all is lost moment, but, like, shit's starting to look bleak. bleak in some way. <laughs> yeah, bleak. Um, so I'm going with Mr. Queen on this one. So in the scene, um, you know, we have the queen, uh, Cho Rin, who has the soul of a modern-day male chef, Bong Kwan, encased in her body. So at this point, she's pregnant. And she sneaks out of the palace to find her husband, the King Chuljong, when she gets intercepted by her very hot cousin, <laughs> Byung In. So at this point, Byung In has gone from being like a trusted and like I said, very hot cousin, <laughs> to kind of an antagonist. Like he is jealous. He had loved her and he like hates her husband. Um, but no matter how much he hates the king. Um, and the fact that he is, he also knows she has like a different, like a different spirit inside of her. <laughs> he decides to sacrifice himself when the baddies close in. So here's a spoiler. Um, <laughs> and this it's, death, it's rough. <laughs> this death is one that marks the first like real true, like gut cost of the heroine's fight to help her husband retain the throne and the power and it's kind of like the clear pivot that's like, hey, we're moving into like the mm-hmm. final showdowns here. And the situation's really disintegrating and becoming life or death. 
course, that beat flows really well into All is Lost because it's right after the bad guys close in that the main character basically loses everything that they think they've gained um, or everything now has no meaning. And so I'm going back to Goblin. And if you have not seen Goblin, please, please skip ahead because this is a huge moment in the drama, the All is Lost moment. Okay. So Kim Shin is fighting the purple-tongued baddie, Park Jung-han. But in order to truly defeat him, he needs the magical sword that has been in his chest for over 900 years. The one only the goblin's bride can remove. But Untak, now that she knows what happens if she removes the sword, which is he will disappear because that's what he needs to finally be laid to rest, she doesn't want to pull out the sword. And so with Untak's hands are on the sword, but it's really Kim Shin that like is pulling on her hands to remove the sword. And so he urges her hands to move so he can remove the sword because it's the only thing that'll work to strike the baddie down. But now that the sword is free, so too is Kim Shin free from this world. And as Untak loses her shit, along with myself, the viewer, in the most heartbreaking heartbreak to ever heartbreak, Kim Shin disappears into nothing. How does this fit the beat? I think there's no explanation necessary. Like, all is freaking lost. That sums it up. All is freaking lost. Life is the worst. Kim Shin is gone. So next, um, I have Dark Knight of the Soul. This is when when the main character has hit bottom and is like wallowing in hopelessness. You know, the why hast thou forsaken me, Lord, moment. Um, Usually something has died. Whether it's a dream, a goal, or a real or, person. Or a and in this case, <laughs> Or a Kimshin. Um, and I'm going to go with Healer. I am going to spoil um, a little bit of it. And if you haven't seen Healer, just, like, freaking do it. I don't know why you haven't if you're a fan of this podcast. But anyway, um, you know, in the previous beat, All is Lost, uh, Healer's mentor died. So Healer, in the Dark Knight of the Soul, Healer blames himself for the death of his mentor. Um, he also doesn't believe that he can have Young Shin, the woman he loves, because he thinks that uh, her being with him will put her in danger. So, you know, he already has massive abandonment issues because Ji Chang-wook cho- chooses roles where he is extremely damaged. <laughs> so he feels alone and abandoned more than ever. He disconnects everything, his phone... Uh, every way that he can get in touch with anyone, and he isolates himself in his bunker with grief. Uh, yeah, how it fits the beat? I mean, Healer believes the enemies have won. They've really demoralized him. They've killed one of the people that mean the most to him. Healer believes he is losing his goal of of having, you know, that island to himself and any sort of connection to the woman he loves. So this really is the darkest point of the drama for Healer, and he looks near death as he lays alone for days in his big white bed. All right, so now we're moving into Act 3, the final act. And we have the beat that is break into three. So this is kind of like, there's like a new idea, new inspiration. There's just like something kind of like, you gotta try something new. What you've been doing is not working. So this isn't a K-drama, but I'm doing Train to Busan, which we've done on the pod, so I think it counts. But I thought it had a good break into three. So, uh, like, Train to Busan has arrived, for better or mostly worse, in Busan. And instead of snakes on a motherfucking plane, we got zombies on a motherfucking train. And this is the moment when the survivors, of which there are not many, disembark. So they're off the train and they are back on the ground. So we've really, like, that's a big pivot, right? And 
I think this fits the beat well because this is kind of like the team sort of gathering up the last push before the big finale. The train has meant that the characters are in forced proximity with the zombies for the majority of the movie and are now literally out of the box and all bets are off as they gear up for that last desperate push to survive. Spoiler. More yeah, people die. I mean, I left it pretty vague to be like not super spoily, but I mean, it's a zombie movie. No, like most people movie. are dying. I'm not going to tell you who, but like no. there's just a lot of dying. A lot of eating. Yeah. The zombies are well fed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's an all it's an all you can eat buffet. Um, yeah. Okay. So then let's talk about a finale. So the finale is just like it sounds. Like this should be like at the end, you know, uh this is like what's wrapping up everything from like the whole story, ideally, and like making it all make sense. And I think a drama that does this exceptionally well is It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And the last episode is called Finding the Real Face. And that really feels just like like a synthesis of the drama's theme, which is um, the three leads who've had so much trauma that they've, you know, spent the majority of the drama figuring out how to, like, how they're trapped by these masks that they've been wearing to cover their authentic selves. So at the end, we see these three characters. One's a rich, broken girl who was taught that love would destroy and diminish her, being open and accepting of love and personal sacrifice. That the brother who thought that he had to sacrifice his whole life to protect and support his um, autistic brother, learning that he actually was, you know, kind of creating this unhealthy codependent relationship. And the autistic brother is ready to step out into life on his own where he's a talented illustrator and he's really being sought out and is in demand by the publishing world. So we have this like freedom kind of emerging that's um, really well depicted by the sense of this camper van. So they're all in this camper van and there's this like endless possibility of like road trips, adventures, who knows what the next day is going to bring. And um, we have this lovely moment where the, um, artistic brother tells his younger brother, you know, Kong Tae belongs to Kong Tae. And that idea that like he wants his brother to live for himself, he's planning on living for himself. And um, and then, yeah, we have these like new, po new possibilities and horizons on the future with the camper van there. And this drama is all about healing from trauma and the fact that healing isn't always linear and that we heal and grow from authentic connections with others and doing our own personal work. And, you know, these three have really beat their inner demons and are ready to move forward in a healthy future. It's a great finale. It's one of the best. It's truly wonderful. So I have Final Image, which is the last one. And once again, I'm going to go back to I Am Not a Robot. You know, if you don't remember what I said about that opening scene, go back. But basically, uh, he is alone. He can't touch anyone. And he can't fulfill his military service. So, you know, that's not a <laughs> poor guy. But the final scene, and I am not a robot. <laughs> I love it so much. I'm, I'm going to spoil it, just so you know. So skip ahead maybe 30 seconds. But the final scene, he is returning home from his military enlistment service. He's got his uniform on. He's, he's strolling up to his big old house. He now has friends that are ready to fill his once vacant house with a welcome home party. He arrives on his property to Gia, who doesn't hesitate to touch him and give him a kiss. And it's just so many perfectly mirrored 
images from his u- military uniform and this like prideful smile that he had that he could fulfill his service to his friends to this full house and then the physical touch with the woman he loves it's just a perfectly perfectly perfect example of a mirrored image uh and honestly i mean i'm not a robot i could i could pick i'm not a robot beats or i i could i could beat sheet that that show that i think that's why that drama I've always said the writer of that drama was so good because of that. So, yeah. So that is the end of all the beats. Not quite the pod yet. But we did it. We beat sheeted dramas. Um, and that was actually a lot of fun. See, I mean, I, I don't do find that it again. fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy that. Like, listeners, I'm sorry if we've now ruined, like, books and media for you, but... Spoiler, yeah. there's this, there's a I don't know. And I think it's, I think it's probably like my bugaboo too, is that like, as I can plot for sure. Um, but when it comes to myself and my own writing, um, when I have to like do my own books, I will say that I'll be like, oh, this character and I'll get like this whole person in my head and be like, yes. And I'll be like, oh, like the plot part is like, I always find like theme and character much more easy for me than structure. And that's just how I live my life too. I'm just like not a very structurally sound Person. No, I think that no, I, I that makes honestly it makes sense to me. And it's probably that, like why true. I like quiet dramas too. And um, you know, yeah. And that's the other thing is like when we talked about like the beats, these quieter dramas like run on or something. Like it'll still hit the beats. It's just going to hit them in a way that's very different than like Goblin's going to hit those beats, where it's like literally life or death. Exactly. That's why. And I meant to say like when I got to the all is lost part, and I used the Goblin example for all is lost, like. I am not a person who in my stories likes a gray moment. I want a freaking dark, like, you know. You do. I I really do. I want that tension. I want that emotional catharsis. uh, And I I want that feeling of there's no way this can work out. Like, I I still want to be on the edge of my seat. Like, how can this possibly end well? And Goblin did that for me. Like, until the very last minute of the very last episode, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be whole again. <laughs> and I think and I love once, that feeling. Yeah. And I think also once you kind of know that about yourself, once you know, um, like how you want those beats to hit you, it does help you find dramas that you, you think you'll enjoy. Absolutely. Because you'll be like, oh, okay, well, I want that really, really dark, like all is lost moment. I want right. the dark black moment. Yeah. Um, or I want like you a know, meditation on character and yeah, like, no, you know. don't don't wreck me a quiet drama or a meditation on character. Please. Whereas yeah. I will be very happy with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is All why right, well, my liberation think... note sounds really good to me at the moment. So go for it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Have a blast. <laughs> As I say, I don't think we need to like recommend a book or anything because we've been talking about Save the Cat the whole time. So if you are one of those people who goes to Leah and says, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out Save the Cat and that might be mm-hmm. a great starting point for you yeah, it was and for us I think write your book remember that it's probably going to be messy and remember that you know we are all snowflakes and unique and special and none of us are unique and special so it's like it's a bit of both we are all we are all it's a dichotomy mm-hmm. right. I agree there is Completely. no truly original idea right somebody has thought of it before and that's okay we're it's just the way of it in different it. ways. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, this was super fun. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I'm sorry we put you through it, Leah. <laughs> no, no, I don't mind it. It's always good for me. And like I said, I um I don't dismiss it. I think it's really important. I just 
I don't know why it's just like something I'm not going to like want to sit and talk about popping popcorn and sleeping over at night at your house. It's all good. It's all good. And I, I just want to say one more thing. What's funny is even if you watch reality shows, they're yeah. often beat sheeted. They're edited to make to it hit fit the into the beats. Yeah. Um, just I've been watching this show called Alone on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Is, like, I love Alone. Oh my god, I'm obsessed. Oh my god. Oh so my god. I didn't know this about you. This is like a whole Oh yeah. Thing. Oh my gosh. No, wrap I... it up, wrap it up, wrap it okay, up. Okay, <laughs> okay, but I'm just saying um it's funny because I'm even finding the beats in each of the people's stories. Basically alone is they're taken to a you know Vancouver Island or yeah. yeah. Somewhere in the middle of nowhere they're dropped off and they have to survive on the land for as long as they can. The person who lasts the longest wins gets half a million dollars. And, um, but yeah, it's like so funny because even the show is editing almost each person's story into like, there's like an all is lost moment. There's, um, it's just so, it's just so funny. I love it. But that's all I just wanted to say. Even reality shows have it. Well, I want to say happy birthday to Leah tomorrow. And yes. For next week's podcast, Leah's going to play us into the open. <laughs> Give me a little bit more time than that. And I also want to say that tomorrow in America, it's my birthday. But in Korea, it's going to be um, Jung Jungkook's birthday. Aww. And he is finally climbing out of the floor of 24. Oh, to my God. able to rent a car at 25. Big two five. You know, I mean, look, I'm never going to, I love Jungkook. I'm not lusty for Jungkook, but now if I ever want to, he at least hits my rent-a-car floor. He can That's as low as we Good can for go. Him. That's renting low a car is as low. <laughs> Ra- Raroon, like, renting a car, it's as low as I can go. So Jungkook, you just, you just made it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be able to rent a car if you're going to have. Yeah, and if I can right to let me thirst, you have to be able to rent a car. And if I can leave you all with one more just profound thing on getting older, because you know birthdays, you know some people get stressed by their birthdays, and I do not. And that is the idea that um, there's a quote that I really love, which is you know never mind your birthdays because you know getting older is a privilege that is denied to many. And I think it's really true and important. So I'm never ever sad on my birthday. And um, and so there we go. I love that, Leah. I love that. What a great note to end on. Well, happy early birthday. Happy Thank early you. birthday. All well, right. thanks for joining us, everybody. Annyeong. 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 Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to afternoonadelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!